So, hey everybody, this is Sam. This is the Travel and Adventure Podcast. Uh, today I have uh, with, with us uh, Alistair Humphreys, who's an adventurer, author, and keynote speaker. He has cycled around the world, walked across India, rode across the Atlantic, um, and he was, I believe in 2012, named the National Geographic Adventurer of the Year um, for working on a concept called micro-adventures. And so, Alistair, thank you for taking the time, <laughs> and um, uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you for having me. Um, so, um, I guess I'd le- let's dive into micro-adventures right away. Like, can you just explain the, the general concept of that initially? Sure. So, I, as you've just said, I uh, used to go on lots of big adventures for all the obvious reasons that people always go on big adventures. And I noticed that lots of people were interested in these things, but obviously not many people are cycling around the world, walking Mm -hmm. across deserts, because real life gets in the way. (laughs) And so I wanted to try and show that you can get a lot of the benefits of these adventures without it having to be so all-encompassing in your life. So I started trying to show how you can have short, local, cheap adventures that are still compatible with real, everyday, normal working life. And I call them a micro-adventure because I wanted, to su- I wanted to say, yes, it's small, but it's also an adventure. So don't worry about how small it is. It's better to do something than to do nothing. It's like having an espresso rather than a huge, giant <laughs> coffee. Got it. So you had um, mentioned some of the benefits of like going on the, the big, grand adventures. What... Well, can you talk about some of what those benefits are that you can still get from the micro-adventure? Yeah, I think, I think um, so for example, one of the things I've really tried to champion is the idea of going on a micro-adventure after work one day. Hmm. So instead of leaving your office and going home to watch TV for the night, instead turn off your computer, head out of town and go sleep on a hill for the night. Underneath the stars, you get uh, a sense of wilderness, you get a bit of physical exercise, hopefully there's no cell phone reception, so you get away from the internet and away from emails for a short time, uh-huh. you get some simplicity, you'll get a bit of discomfort as well, which hopefully will make you reappreciate the things you have in your normal life, and then when you get back to work again, you have a decent story to tell, you have a memory that's going to last for a long time to come, and you've just stepped, stepped away from normal life for a short time, um, and hopefully you've had fun as well. Very cool. Can you, um, do you have a couple favorite micro-adventures that you've done, or seen people, other people do? Well, I started the idea by um, walking, so I live near London in England, and there's a, there's a big freeway that goes right around London called the M25, and I'm sure, sure pretty much every city has the same sort of road, big mm-hmm. road going around it. And generally, they're ugly, boring, and they go through ugly, boring commuter towns, and they're not really very adventurous. Mm-hmm. And and they're almost the antithesis of adventure. So I decided to walk a lap of the M25, this walk around London through suburbia, essentially. <laughs> and it took about a week to do, so it was definitely at the big end of micro-adventure. Micro-adventures okay. micro have got shorter and shorter. <laughs> but back, back then, uh, what I was trying to show was that you could still find wilderness still find pockets of beauty you can still find a physical challenge even in a landscape as incredibly boring as 
the M25. So that was a, that was what started off the micro adventures, and I see it as a. Uh, um, but I saw it as I was doing it. I kept thinking to myself, "This feels like cycling around the world." Uh-huh. It's much shorter, of course, and it's a bit silly. But the essence of this is exactly why I set off to cycle around the world. Gotcha. Very cool. Do you um, do you have like two or three tips for people for if they want to go and plan their own micro adventure? Just like things to get the ball rolling in their minds of like. Because I think a lot of people will look around. I mean, like, I live in Orange County, and I'm looking outside right now, and I, like, I'm in an apartment, and there's, like, some shopping centers nearby, and so it's just something to help spur the creativity of, of what that can be. Okay, well, the, the first thing to think is that, is to try to think about where you live as a wild, exciting, adventurous place. So, for example, if you say to a British person, hey, do you want to go camp out on a hill in Orange County, California, that would just sound so exciting because it's different and new to us. And so trying to remember to look at your own neighborhood with fresh eyes is a good thing. The second thing is that, as you just pointed out, there's quite a lot of barriers that stop us doing these things. And so I think it's important to maybe get a friend. Together you're more likely to actually do it rather just thinking about it and procrastinating mm-hmm. and put put a date in the diary so that you're actually committed on that day we're going to go do something exciting and then the next thing is to make sure your your adventure plan is so small that it's achievable if you try and think of some huge audacious goal mm-hmm. then re- real life will get in the way and you probably won't bother but if you make it so small that hey we're going to eat in that cafe before we go so we don't need to take any camping stoves mm-hmm. we're going to go on a nice warm evening so it won't rain on us and we don't need like we won't freeze to death and we can take a nice bar of chocolate or a beer or whatever it is so that when you're on the hill it's nice and <laughs> and you're going to go somewhere suitably local so that it's not a hassle to do just working out what it is that's stopping you and trying to find a way around that thing gotcha. and hopefully you get to the point where the only valid excuse left is your own pathetic wimpishness and you then have to <laughs> You start to look in the mirror and have a chat with yourself. Gotcha. And we've all been we've all been there. Yeah. No, that's um I I really truly love that. I um have helped I work at a university out here and they have an around the world study abroad program. So where you go for a for a semester you go to ten different countries and you're in a country for two weeks and you're uh, you're taking classes that are relevant to the place that you're in and there's like a service component to it. Um, and it's a, it's a really incredible experience, but one of the, when people get back, they just did this big grand thing, and then they feel like they have to go out and do another big grand thing to get that same high. And this is exact. I mean, this is like the perfect, I don't know what word I'm on, but the perfect tag along for that. So that's really cool. Well, that was what, that was one of the reasons that I started to do microadventures. Actually, was because I realised I was getting all my thrills from travelling around the world and rowing across oceans and walking <laughs> across deserts. And if if each time you need to do something bigger to get the same sort of thrill, then that's that's not going to end in a pretty way. In the long <laughs> run. Um, and there's a law of diminishing returns to adventures. You know, if you cycle around the world once, amazing. Uh-huh. The second time you do it. Yeah, not quite so much. So, so I've been trying to look differently at adventure. And I think seeing your local place as a 
place of excitement is a good start for that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Two other questions on micro adventures. One, is there a is there a community anywhere, like an online like a I don't know, Facebook group or website or something to where people are sharing about things that they did and ideas and, and things like that? When I started doing micro adventures I put a lot of time and effort into spreading the idea of the, the, the microadventure hashtag and other normal people doing their microadventures. So it wasn't just this random British guy who for some reason didn't have a proper job <laughs> who was telling people to do this, but it was normal people doing it. So I really tried to spread the hashtag wide mm-hmm. and that worked really, really well. The problem is it has now become quite a popular hashtag and therefore has become diluted mm-hmm. to the point of pretty much useless, I think, through well, the way these things happen online. So yeah. there are quite a lot of there are quite a lot of Facebook groups within the UK for micro adventures. There's a there's occasional ones dotted around other places, but one of the main things that I try to emphasise is that this it's nice to have a group of people so that you can go do stuff perhaps in your local area. But I'm kind of more trying to suggest to people you shouldn't be following recipes here. It's not about following formula. It's mm-hmm. about applying this idea to wherever you live and whatever your circumstances are with your friends and one of the issues is that if if people live in a town they think oh where i live i can't do adventure i need to and then they look on instagram and they see that you need to go to patagonia or mongolia to have an adventure Mm -hmm. so try and make make the idea something that anyone can do wherever they happen to live rather than saying hey turn up at this point on this day and go do this thing gotcha cool um, last question in the micro-adventure sphere. Uh, so you were named National Ge- Geographic Adventure of the Year, which sounds really awesome. Um, and I was curious what that process was like. Like, did you apply for that? Did they seek you out? And were there any perks to being the Adventure of the Year? Or is it just, hey, good job, and, and here's, the, here's the little trophy? Didn't even get a trophy. <laughs> So first of all, there are, there are probably, I think there were eight or ten National Geographic Adventurers of the Year okay. each year. So it wasn't that I was Mr. Adventure Guy. Gotcha. Uh, there, were, there were a bunch. Second, no, I didn't apply I would or anything like that. Um, I think it's kind of the thing that when I was back doing big adventures, I would have thought, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to be that mm-hmm. one day? But once I started doing micro-adventures, you know, sleeping on little hills outside London, it never occurred to me that someone like National Geographic would care about that being an adventure. So they just got in touch with me out of the blue. And what they liked about it was that I was trying to evangelize, trying to get other people to go have adventures, the stuff I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the reason they liked it, not that I was sleeping on small hills <laughs> in England. Um, so they got in touch, and I, it was one of those crazy emails to open. And then I had to do an interview uh, on Skype, and then they... Yeah, they announced it, and so I didn't get a trophy from it, I didn't get cash, I didn't get, there was nothing official from it at all, really, gotcha. um, but what what has been really helpful for has been just to give me a bit of credibility, sure. so in terms of doing things that I do that pay for my life, like giving talks, to be able to say that is a really good way of just getting your foot in the door, so it's been, it was an honour, but it's also mm-hmm. been a really useful thing. Gotcha. I do also slightly feel a fraud when most people get most people get it for climbing enormous mountains and soaring off their arms and things like that but still I was, it was a really lovely thing to get cool yeah no that's great that's it's very cool um 
Okay, I want to talk a little bit about the bigger adventures. Um, what was the first, like, what got you started? What, all right, two questions. What was the first big adventure that you did, and, like, what got you started into doing that? Why did you want to do it? Okay, so when I left high school, before I went to university, I went and I spent a year volunteering in a, a little school in South Africa, in rural South Africa, and that got me... That opened up my eyes to the world beyond the small England I'd been brought up in. So mm -hmm. that got me excited about travel. I thought, wow, the world's amazing. I want to go see more of it, like a lot of young people do. Mm -hmm. Then when I was at university, I got really interested in physical challenges, like cycling a long way and running over mountains. I wasn't very good at them, but I was quite <laughs> good at persevering. So then I thought I'd like to travel the world, but do so in a way that's quite physically challenging. And also, of course, being a student, I didn't have much money, so it needed to be cheap. And uh -huh. then all of those things led to the idea of doing a long bicycle ride. And if you start, if you look at a map of the world and start planning a bicycle ride, it's quite easy to get longer and longer and longer until you think, oh, I might as well try cycling all <laughs> the way around the world. I didn't actually think I'd get around the world, but I thought it sounded like a neat thing to say I was going to go and try uh -huh. to do. So that's, that's what started it. Gotcha. And then what are... Do you have a most memorable um, big adventure? Well, I suppose cycling around the world is the biggest thing I've ever done and the biggest thing I will ever do. It was four years on the road, five uh -huh. continents, 60 countries, 46,000 miles, all done for about $10,000. So <laughs> I'll never beat that. And it's also special because it's my first big adventure. And so cycling around the world will always be the biggest adventure but aside from that, I think rowing across the Atlantic was a, a very memorable experience. It was 45 days at sea, 3,000 miles. It was brutally hard, incredibly boring, very frightening. I was very sick. It was a horrible, horrible, horrible 45 days. <laughs> and yet, now that I look back, I'd say it's one of the best adventures I've ever done in my life. It's, a lot of adventures are about the joy of looking back, even if they're miserable at the time. Yeah, I understand that. For the Atlantic, were you by yourself? Did you have a team with you? No, there was a boat of four people. So there's myself, okay. an, uh, an English, another English guy, an Irishman, and a Slovenian guy. Um, and we, yeah, we rowed together. Two people rowing at a time, two people resting for two hours. So there's a lot of sleep deprivation and dehydrated food and vomiting and <laughs> talk about who's talk about whose buttocks hurt the most because you get very very you get a lot of chafing we'll leave it at that i believe that um <laughs> all right two two other questions on on big adventures for uh let's just talk about folks on the cycling one um what are some of the things you had to do to prepare for that i mean like going for four years is obviously a, a significant amount of time um like how did you how did you do that? Did you just did you have money saved up and you just saved your own money? Were you making money somehow as you were going about that? And then did you do any um, like physical prep or training uh, to get ready for that? So I so I had the idea pretty early on when I was a student, and so I, I worked um, holiday jobs and evening jobs and things to, uh, to save up money. So I'd saved up about ten thousand dollars, which. It wasn't nearly enough to cycle around the world, but I decided just to set off anyway and try and see how far I could make it. I tried to get sponsors, but 
I'd never done anything before, so of course no sponsors were interested. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided not to work along the way because it was already such a long project. I thought if I stopped for six months to work in a bar somewhere, the, I, the trip would just get longer and longer. So I just lived ridiculously cheap. And it's pretty cheap to travel by bike because you don't have to pay for transport. Um, I went by bike. <laughs> you don't have to pay for accommodation. I slept in my tent. I crossed the oceans for free because I went by uh, boats, uh, working my way on boats rather than on aeroplanes. So all that's really left is food. And I basically ate banana sandwiches and ramen noodles for four years. <laughs> so, so I did the whole thing incredibly cheap rather than stopping to earn money along the way. In terms of preparation, I did quite a lot of planning about equipment and visas and passports and things. Um, I did zero physical training. I kind of felt that if I was going to cycle 46,000 miles, then why do any extra cycling? So I was very (laughs) unfit at the start, but within a month or two, you get as fit as you're ever going to need to be. And really the planning mostly was useful just because it served to give me the guts to begin. I don't think I'd have been brave enough to set off with no planning, but once I was actually underway, I realized that a bicycle journey is so simple. You just need passport a credit card a bike and a tent and that's all you need but the planning really just helps give me the comfort safety net to to set out my front door and start which is the hardest part of any adventure um could you give a brief what was your path i mean even by like continent how how did you make go around it okay so i set off from england uh, crossed over to france and then cycled east through europe to turkey I cycled through the Middle East to Egypt and then the whole way down Africa to Cape Town. Then I crossed the Atlantic Ocean on a sailing boat and pedaled from the very bottom of Patagonia mm-hmm. up the west coast of South America, the west coast of the US, up through the Yukon, all the way to the Arctic Ocean in northern Alaska. Crossed the Pacific by boat and then cycled from northeastern Siberia through Russia, down Japan, across China, Central Asia, back across Europe, back home again to England. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, cool. Uh, do you have any new big adventures that you're dreaming of? Well, I'm always dreaming of big adventures, but uh, what I've mostly been doing in the last few years is uh, the micro-adventures, and that, to be honest, is what the, uh, the, the focus of my efforts these days. Okay. Um, to some 2016, I took a month and I, I busked across Spain with a violin despite being very, very bad at the violin. Uh, so that, that was a terrifying exercise in vulnerability. I had no money, only my violin. But apart from that, I, I'm, I'm focused really on the micro-adventures, trying to persuade lots of people to go sleep on hills wherever they live. Gotcha. All right. Great. A um, couple final questions for you, just on how you've been able to turn adventure into a livable lifestyle um so i i mean like that's really the first question how, how are you able to sir how did you make this into a job like what do you what are your sources of income like how does that all work okay i think i say a, a very interesting conversation topic and it's it springs off lots of other questions for example when your hobby when the thing you love becomes your job is it still your hobby and is it still something you love mm-hmm. um and so there are, there, are, there are some hazards involved in that side. But generally, I feel so lucky that I, I earn money from doing what I love. How I do that, so 
when I cycled around the world, I was raising money for a kids' charity. So I did about 300 talks around the world mm-hmm. raising money for this charity. So by the time I got home, I'd got quite a lot of practice at speaking. So I began doing talks at local elementary schools, high schools, anyone who would have me charging, well, about 50, 50 pounds at first and mm-hmm. gradually creeping up as I got better. My reputation grew a bit. So for a few years, I would just do endless talks in schools um, to pay for my life whilst I was writing a book. So I, st- I wrote a book about cycling around the world. And then that's that was really how it worked for quite a few years. Give talks, write books, write articles, sell photos occasionally. Um, and that just repeated for years, doing different adventures, writing writing about them. The, the, the one extra thing that's changed quite a bit in recent years was I began making films about my adventures, just short little YouTube films, mm-hmm. simply because I, I loved doing that and I really enjoyed learning it. Um, and I never thought I'd earn any money from that. But what my films have done is means that in the last two or three years, I've started to get work from brands who want me to mm-hmm. make films about adventures that are somehow linked to their brands. So these days, my money comes from, it's probably about 10% from my books and then about... 45% from speaking and 45% from partnering up with brands. Gotcha. And how often are you are you speaking nowadays, would you say? Um, well, I've, I've, uh, I've got um, busy, but we're all busy in life. So I'm constantly trying to buy back some time in my life. And uh, I've, um, so trying to get the balance between doing lots of talks versus having time to write books is, is a challenge. But I probably do a talk, I'd say every... every two weeks sometimes it's every week uh, there are times of year when it goes really dead there are times when I do two or three in a week uh, but it's probably once every week or every two weeks okay. um, and these days it's mostly to, to to businesses and conferences and events rather than uh, little kids in schools gotcha um, do you have any advice for people who want to um, for lack of a better word, who want to become you <laughs> or who want to have that type of lifestyle where you're, I mean, you've, you've made yourself into a, a bit of a brand and um, if people are just starting out, um, what would you, do you have anything you'd want to say to them? <laughs> uh, first of all, I'd strongly recommend no one tries to become me. Um, <laughs> that would not be, that's not the route to a sane happy serene uh, life and also it also that which also a brief point that you should take with a pinch of salt people's internet lives are very different to the whole chaotic jumble of real lives i think sometimes people can make the mistake of thinking that people who live these online internet lives are living the dream Mm -hmm. i think that's a important cautionary note and sound however how does someone become an adventurer number one you have to go do adventures because you love them. The the authenticity and genuine love of adventure, I really think, has to come first. I get so many emails these days from people who essentially say, how can I become a rich, famous Instagram adventurer? <laughs> Whereas the important emails are the ones from people emailing me saying, how can I go do a massive adventure? Because this is what lights my fire and I really think that's the first thing is somehow in your life you've got to work out a way to get some money and go do an adventure and once you've done an adventure then you need to have some sort of 
way to be able to share that story to the world through writing books, writing articles, making films, being a photographer, giving speeches to schools, being a painter, whatever it is, you need to find some sort of way to ship t- to share that story in a way that excites people enough so that eventually they'll pay you for those stories. Be prepared to do hundreds of unpaid things first. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing you need to do is, because no one knows who you are or cares about you, you have to tell people about yourself. And this is the part where I always feel uh, quite uncomfortable about because it basically involves you have to learn to show off about yourself on the internet, which is not the most gracious or edifying thing <laughs> to do in life. And when you said the brand word before that made a little bit of vomit come up into my mouth, but essentially you have to make build yourself into a brand, uh-huh. uh, which involves trying to, these days involves growing an audience on social media, uh-huh. which I think comes down to how can you share something of interest to an audience and if it is interesting your audience will grow and how can you do that while still being authentic and still retaining your original love for the adventure stuff Um, and then if you repeat all of that process working like a lunatic for about uh, 20 years then maybe you'll start to earn a living from it gotcha and that leads a little bit into the the next question are there drawbacks to this type of lifestyle that you've come across (laughs) So drawbacks. So I'll let me explain how I see myself now. For most people listening to this, won't know who I am. So I, I make my living out of being an adventurer. So I go off and I do adventures, and then through the ways we've described, I earn enough to pay for my life from that, and that's brilliant. I love it. The drawbacks are um, one: I um, when I'm away on an adventure, there's always a a worry that I get a bit too obsessed with how am I going to turn this into a story rather than enjoying the experience. Mm. So I'm sitting on a beautiful mountaintop at sunset and instead of thinking, what a beautiful mountaintop at sunset, I think, oh, if I put this on Instagram, that will make me look really cool. (laughs) Um, And I despise myself for that, but that's kind of necessary. And I try to get a balance on that. Um, The other downsides are that as... As I've got to a point now where I can earn a perfectly happy living from adventure, just the nature of that means that I, it feels more like I have a real job. So, you know, I have to pay bills and do taxes and all sorts of boring things. And I, that then means I spend less time doing the original adventure things. Um, but overall, I, I'm certainly very grateful and love what I do, definitely. And I think actually one more thing I'll say on that is that if you're not the sort of person who would enjoy writing books, giving talks, self-promotion, all that sort of stuff, then there are lots of other ways to have great adventures. You know, if you were, say, a high school teacher, save up all your money uh, through the year, and then in your big, long summer vacation, you go climb Mount Everest once a year, and doing one massive mountain, mount, one massive adventure a year is mm-hmm. better than most of us so-called professional adventurers do. So there are lots of ways to have adventure in your life without selling your souls to the demons of self-promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, and then last question for you. Um, how do you manage time? And so we had, I mean, funny how our short relationship kind of started, but um, I know that you have a lot of people that are asking for time and asking for things of you, and um, I'm sure you're 
your desire is to be able to help and connect with as many people as you can, but obviously there are limits to um, to all of us and to what we can do and to how far we can extend. And so do you, just any thoughts on that, on how you manage time and being a, a social media figure and also wanting to just live and enjoy your life? Uh, okay, so um, above my desk here, I, I, I work in a little shed and without me moving my eyes at all, I can see written on a blackboard in big letters that says, hell yeah or no, which is from a Derek Sivers article about if you get asked to do something, you should think, does this make me think, hell yeah, and if not, you should say no to it. I can also see a big thing saying, does this help me get my books written, question mark. Another big thing saying, time, not cash, question mark. Uh, Another thing saying, one day or day one, you decide. So there's a definite theme in my life of feeling a lack of time. And this is, in many ways, is a good thing. It's because things are going well now. I have a lot of work to do. So that's all good. Um, when I started doing adventures, I loved, you know, I drew so much information from other people who'd gone out to do stuff. And, and that from that, then I, I spent a lot of time writing blogs, answering emails, trying to help other people with their own adventures and things. But it does kind of get to a bit of a point of saturation. And I suppose most people listening to this in their own work are also drowning in email, the big curse of our age. Like, I seem to just spend days on email doing, <laughs> answering other people's requests, not getting anything done in my own life. So, so that lack of time kind of drives me crazy. Um, and, and that then brings me on to how we, we came to meet. Which is you, <laughs> um, and I tried to reduce the ways that um, what I've tried to do really is if people want some of my time which is a perfectly reasonable request I, I want it to feel that they they value the time as well as as well as whatever they'll get back and through so to do that I tend to just get it get people to get in touch um, in ways that are sort of controlled by me so I'm not just constantly answering messages everywhere and that means that Instagram, where you can send messages, I never look on there. I've just had a policy. I don't look on Instagram messages because it's, people send me about 50 messages a day, sort of generally asking for something. Uh, and it'd be nice to help everyone, but I don't have time. Mm-hmm. So yesterday morning, I looked on there, uh, and I was really stressed yesterday morning, which, like most busy people, I then thought, right, rather than solving all the reasons I'm so busy, I'll just waste more time on Instagram. <laughs> and for some reason... For some reason, I looked at my Instagram messages. I had a message from you, perfectly nice message saying, hey, Al, um, can I grab some of your time to do an interview on a podcast? Perfectly perfectly polite and fine. And for some reason, I was like, ah, everyone wants my time. And I put something on Instagram, which was supposed to suggest the idea of, one, our own time is precious, and therefore we should think how we use it. And also, other people's time is precious, and therefore we should think how we ask for it and I think both of those are valid points but the way I did it was quite crass and quite uh, quite unkind to you uh, who I didn't know and quite rightly so uh, the internet got very angry at me <laughs> and, after, and within about 10 minutes I thought oof yeah the internet is right I am being an idiot here so I quickly deleted it and started uh, groveling and apologizing to the world um, and here we are today so I apologize to you for being rude about someone I never met um, but I think the the point of this is that I have benefited from lots of people's information and advice. So it's a 
important for me to give that back and pass it on. On the other hand, if you want to get stuff done in your life, stuff of meaning and depth and substance, you have to learn to say no to lots of things. Mm-hmm. And the internet taught me yesterday, you have to learn to say no to things in a way that is polite. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I, oh, well, I, I appreciate that. And then um, I just, I truly am thankful for your time. And I'm, I'm thankful for taking time out of your day and to talk to me. And I hope that um, this will be beneficial to other people. Um, well, exactly, and that's the thing with doing doing podcasts is that it's not just me heroically giving you your time, it's also you giving me airspace to your audience, which hopefully will lead to me selling some books, blah, 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 all the things that lead to, uh, to making a life out of an adventure. So it's about, it has, it's a, a, if it's a mutual thing, then of course it's using your time, both of us, not wasting our time, sure. both of us, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um Great. Uh, so with that, um, are, are, is there anything that you, any other thoughts that you have, any other, anything you want to um, share before we wrap up here? Uh, I think the thing that struck me most in our conversation was how bored you sounded with the notion of living in Orange County, California. <laughs> and therefore, I look forward to seeing uh, on your Instagram a photograph of you looking jubilant on top of some beautiful fun hill or river or wood within an hour of your home having a, your own micro adventure i will do that and they actually no that's true i didn't grow up here and i remember um as i grew up in wisconsin in milwaukee or right in the middle of the country and um and i i had never been out to california never been out to orange county and i viewed it with with such rose-colored glasses and and now i've, I've been out here for 10 years now um and you are right. That's why. That's what drew me to you initially. Was I, I was reading about the micro adventures, and um, that's something that resonated with me. And I realized because I am like, this is a beautiful place to live, and there's so much to do between the oceans and the mountains um, within an hour of here. Um, so anyway, I will do that. I'll take. I'll take you up on that. Um, for people that want to find you, uh, your Instagram is Al Humphreys. It's A L underscore H U M P H R E Y S. Your website is alistairhumphreys.com. That's A-L-A-S-T-A-I-R-H-U-M-P-H-R-E-Y-S. Um, are there other places you want to send people um, or you want them to be aware of where they can go check out your work and what you're doing? No, I think uh, I, I wasted enough of my time on social media that people can find me in what, probably whatever platform they choose. Uh-huh. Um, YouTube, I work hard at trying to learn to make good films, so maybe on YouTube, and then I have books on Amazon, should anyone be interested in that, and a, an email newsletter on my blog. Gotcha. Great. Well, Alistair, thank you, truly thank you very much for your time. I hope that you have a great uh, rest of your day, and um, yeah, I appreciate you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. See you later. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Travel and Adventure podcast. You can find us at bettertraveler.world. That's bettertraveler.world. Be sure to check out Alistair at Al underscore Humphreys on Instagram and alistairhumphreys.com. You can find all of these links in the show notes. Have a great day.